I am Sergio Brodsky and I'm a brand and foresight strategist. And I'm Jazz Giuliani, the editor of Marketing Mag. Welcome to Futurecast, the podcast where we talk with professional futurists, renowned academics and high-profile business leaders from around the world. In this series, we think about the future so that we can meaningfully change the present. The time is now. Join us for better futures. Welcome back to Futurecast. Today, we are speaking with Puroesh Shadari, who is a futures researcher, development and strategic communications professional. Thank you so much for making time for us tonight. Thanks, Jazz. As well as being featured among the world's best female futurists, you are also the founder and CEO of Agahi, an NGO that creates shared spaces for interactive learning, collaborative thinking, and knowledge sharing in Pakistan. Your bio, I must say, is nothing short of remarkable, and you've done so many incredible things in your career. Could you take us through your incredible professional trajectory and what led you to being considered one of the world's top futurists? I, I, I would go back as far as when I actually started to work, which was around, I must have been around 18, uh, 17 years old. I used to work for my dad. And so the trajectory went something like this. After I got a business degree, I went to, um, I went to the corporate sector, worked with the corporate sector, then went into media, worked with the media industry for quite a while. And following that, it, it was uh, back in 2010 when I had actually started doing my own stuff, which basically meant what motivated me, what I found most uh, interesting, and what were the things that I actually missed out on in the last uh, uh, eight to 10 years of my career so far. And that got me to, uh, so to speak, the development sector. But nevertheless, when I did get into development sector, very early on, I had come across a lot of foresight work. So I had been going through different uh, research work and, and trying to really understand what is the methodology, what are the frameworks that go behind it. And very luckily, I got in touch with the Millennium Project, which actually hosts over over uh, 35 different methodologies, futures methodology. And that gave me a very good insight as to how this whole enterprise actually operates. So what really uh, put me in that slot of being considered one of the top most, I would say Pakistan and especially the region that I'm coming from, it's quite a challenging region. And for someone to actually really do uh, futures research outside of the state institution in the public space, I think that was considered more or less that was actually considered something quite unique and powerful. I mean, you've had governments uh, who've taken the ownership, who've taken this into consideration and have done it themselves. But here in South Asia and Asia in particular, there aren't many governments that are actually doing this. So I guess uh, um, a lot of that, uh, a lot of those factors came into play. And with so many interests, so many places that you've been and so many things that you've done, you ended up, uh, uh, may I say, falling in love with journalism. And journalism has become a focal point in your work. At least I've seen a lot of that compared to everything else that you've done. I would love to know how did you develop this keen interest for journalism and how do you see the future of journalism actually unfolding 
when I when I actually went into media, which was uh, I think around 2007, 2006. I mean, this is shortly after uh, the sector got deregulated and and the telecommunication got deregulated, and then you had this whole new industry crop up. And, and so we had a lot of people from print media coming into broadcast media. I was the one, I was the one that actually made uh, the career in the broadcast rather than the print. So a lot of training went into from the print media. We had a lot of trainers coming from, from the US, from the UK, in order to really help us understand how the broadcast sector really works. Now, having said that, the reason I actually uh, really uh, stepped out of, from the industry was... Uh, um, was mostly because I didn't really see the industry evolve. And these are those times when you had uh, the, the print media actually dying. And, and as the print media was dying and there were, there, there, there were numerous uh, articles and research and opinions that were done in order, to, uh, in order to showcase how the print medium has actually shrunk over the last one decade, um, little did we see any effort being uh, done in Pakistan. We saw the same behavior get translated into the broadcast media, and now if we if we actually see uh, how how the broadcast media is doing, you still you still have them uh, have them operate on traditional advertising model. So their marketing models are pretty much the same except for one or two or three bits where they actually do use social media to promote their content. But that too is relatively very, very narrow and very skimmed out. So you, we had the print media shrunk a lot of uh, pages. We've had the broadcast media, which is still continuing, but sh- uh, have shrunk in their revenue models um, in terms of generating revenue. And, and so what, what we've seen is that, uh, the journalists that had been employed by the broadcast media, which were in thousands, are now being uh, left with no jobs and no skills. So that is the transition that I I took back in 2009. It's like when there is whether you have you have significant uh, number of uh, people that have become unemployed either because of lack of skills or or because the revenue models are dying. So what what do these people need? And that's where the keen interest in in terms of uh, um, helping journalists all around Pakistan, uh, not only to develop skills on latest technologies, but also to understand what does quality content means and how can they actually project that uh, using different social media tools in order to make space in the digital uh, era. So that's one of the elements where, where I actually took the, took the leap. Yeah, and and makes makes a lot of sense. And I can tell that uh, it was a very effective program because on the article, you actually said that journalists now, they are increasingly becoming the brand as opposed to representing the publishers that they work for. And that's possibly because journalists were forced to learn new skills and get ahead of the game since the model wasn't really changing. Uh, The professional had to step up and uh, find new ways to make a living, but also to stay relevant. Uh, in, In your view, what are the implications of such a shift in journalism i think the whole the whole landscape of how content is being viewed and and journalism is something that happens under it as one of the as one of the sectors the whole content industry has been uh, uh, shaped 
in the sense of how these digital tools have come to uh, have come to its own fruition now having said that the challenge with the media industry here at least in pakistan has been and and i'm sure that there, there are many in the neighbors that actually share the same thing like you know when you go into a corporate sector in order to for the employees to stay relevant and to have a career trajectory you have the corporate sector design training programs and so every 6 months or every odd year you go and uh, be trained or you acquire a new skill we didn't see any of that happening within the media sector and so because of the lack of a governance structure the corporate governance structure within the industry that actually really uh, took the journalists into a different paradigm which was uh, looking up opportunities where they can actually enhance their skill understand what tools are available for them to use and ultimately what is what is happening what i consider in my like this is my personal opinion that these news organizations are becoming less relevant and you have some of the journalists becoming as influencers and they're the one who are actually taking uh, well it's not the brand that is taking them forward it is them who are taking the brand forward so it's the other way around so no longer do they need the brand to package their skill set it's it's their skill set that the brand needs so so it's i i see that shift happening uh, in the last 5 uh, 6 years and that is that is i think tremendous in terms of seeing that shift happening in the content space and i i love what you're speaking about as well because i i studied journalism myself and i think that a lot of the the ideas you're speaking about although you know this is from, based on your experience in pakistan is extremely relevant to journalism here as well and big outlets are struggling with their revenue models and and adapting with new technologies and finding out where next. So you are obviously very passionate about the power and the potential of responsible reporting and investigative journalism. And you created the Agahi Awards, which is an annual awards ceremony for journalists across Pakistan recognizing the incredible work that they do. Can you talk to us a little bit about why this is important to you and perhaps the benefits of celebrating journalism and the risks if we don't do that of maybe not holding its value highly enough in society? Well, I think uh one of the things that I've learned, uh I had learned in the media industry the appreciation model was very uh, outdated. so it wasn't really catering towards the broadcast or the digital and so what they were just uh, perhaps revolved around the the awards were revolved around were newspapers and then when you see the newspapers uh, industry sort of shrinking and, and 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 the revenue models for that industry sort of dying you you tend to sort of say like you have a, a journalism which is happening on the digital landscape and it doesn't necessarily has to happen on broadcast or even in print how do you recognize that so so the so the primary task that we had opted for was how do we create a, a framework which can assess content and not the medium and so we we developed a uh, we developed a benchmarking tool in order to help us really understand the quality of content that is being generated in pakistan and therefore also helped us is to understand what kind of content is being repo- reported from which kind of location just to give us a sense of what are the most pressing issues in those societies or those local communities now a lot of these things get usually uh, amiss in the business of printing a daily newspaper which you have to wait 
until the next day or you are in a 24 hour broadcast industry which has to still has the quality assurance and still has to go through certain steps and procedures in order to make it onto the television but here you have you have the space of uh, of uh, using the using the online media in terms of pushing your content forward now here is the space where where a journalist need to learn how to prepare content which is ethically uh, responsible but also very current in its format and so uh, when 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 we when we've seen that and you you kind of see that shift what we've also learned in the last 8 uh, 9 years holding these awards is um, the the kind of submission that we get so the journalists themselves nominate their own work in the specific category that they feel their work needs to be recognized in so what we've seen is the is the is the shift in the nomination in terms of earlier on when we first had these awards in 2000 and and i think it was 2012 when we first had these awards uh, there was tremendous focus on print and broadcast now the sh- we see more nominations coming from uh, online media and digital uh, space so you we learn so many things while having these awards and when when we engage with the journalist also initially it wasn't in, it wasn't such a rosy picture we had a lot of backlash in terms of like um, a lot of people very seasoned people um, in the editorial position just didn't understand what what was happening but also at the same time uh, you know how how people would want to monopolize an effort don't understand the value proposition in sharing and collaborating and as you've seen uh, in terms of what a guy's mission is we actually believe and one of our core values is how do you share understanding and how do you share the learning process and through that mission we we kind of achieved uh, quite significantly in terms of having these journalism awards and and therefore the, these are the awards that are internationally recognized in the sense you get juries from all over the world experts in their different uh, fields uh judging the content that gets generated from pakistan and they it gives them a sense of understanding who wins and who doesn't win and and so the the quality of content has improved tremendously we have a lot of issues which are really uh developed in the local context and 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 the solutions that the, the journalists sometimes report on these are also the ones that are developed in the local context so you it's a it's a very good tool in order to understand where, what what is the current state of media practices and and journalism in the country content brain specializes in content creation across a diverse range of topics for many industry sectors if you need help with content development for your blogs thought leadership white papers video podcasts or special projects talk to the team at content brains you'll find links in our episode notes uh from from what you've been telling us uh you come across a little bit like an iconoclast you want to change media you want to change the journalist and you have and you have changed both an industry and you have changed the professional for the better which are very noble things to do but on the article that we wrote together you also said that the notion around what is and was considered a brand also has to change particularly with the advancement of technologies and some of the new information pathways and subsequent uh, interactions happening in those uh, many webs of communication so in what ways can or should the idea of brand be reframed 
Okay, so I think your question is so like um, it's so loaded in the sense like if I were to really uh, put all of those things together, um, so one of the things that uh, we've learned is uh, not just the media industry in itself, but uh, there is this uh, there is this entire marketing and sales industry, right? And 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 you what we've seen is that so you have lack of competency at one level, but also the lack of capacity and and perhaps not the not the vision as to where things are moving, but it is it is shared across all uh, sectors and industry, and what that does is that that affects the the transition. Now you we would almost wait for something to hit us rather than anticipating as to what's coming next. Do you get what I'm saying? So we're we're very ill prepared in the sense of not really learning how to navigate through different technologies which are which are happening. Now, if you get an AI agent, for instance, uh, just to put together different issues, and you have the drone uh, technology and all these different technologies come together, you we would also see that in some cases you don't even need journalists. So you don't even have, I mean, these are the conversation that I, in, in some parts of Europe that we've had already. And this, this conversation we've had like eight, nine years ago. And so now we're sitting in 2021. I still see that uh, there is, there is very, uh, very narrow understanding of what technology is and what technology means. If it, if it, if it's accelerated in a certain sector, what would it mean for the business? Because of that uh, a vacuum, hopefully uh, people like ourselves and like yourself should be able to bridge that. That really affects how we perceive a brand, and so and and so because of because we don't understand uh, the evolution process of what things are becoming, we are stuck in our own ways. So I'm really comfortable in the way I am, and if I were to change, I'd actually wait for things to influence me before I did that. And so the cost of that would I would bear at that point, not realizing if I start to uh, if I if I started to uh, bring in some foresight work or perhaps having the foresight in terms of figuring out what is happening in the environment, I would be able to plan my uh, business much better. And this would take some time. Uh, in fact, uh, at least uh, eight more years, six to eight more years, where you would see that these people or individuals are eventually would be considered brand. So it, it's for the organizations, uh, their relevance is going to be much less and the value propositions are going to be centered around humans. Oh, that's that's quite the reframe. It is. And I, I, this is sort of switching gears a little bit here, but it's still relevant to, to brand. And perhaps there is a stubbornness that you were speaking about just before that you know ties into this a little bit but there has been a big conversation about corporate responsibility in and brands being accountable for how they treat customers and employees and the environment and the communities so in the article you co-authored with Sergio you write about how brands need to go beyond corporate responsibility and towards purpose. And I just wanted to see if perhaps you could distinguish between the two ideas, you know, what is the difference between corporate responsibility and between purpose? That's um, uh, that's a very good question. And, you know, while I was actually putting together this, I was putting this together for Sergio, I mean, I I'd, I'd, I'd wondered 
like what's going on in my head that I would say something of the sort. And they were like, basically, basically, there were like so many variables that had come into play. Um, so for instance, um, if you if you look at how the millennium culture is evolving, um, they're looking for meaning. Uh, and so you have a lot of a lot of uh, young people who maybe a generation or two younger than myself are looking for meaning, are looking for purpose. They they are not, and this is the educated uh, bunch that I'm talking about. They are not really um, not really confined to the idea of like how many sales pitches do I need to do? How many? I mean, there is that generation also who are actually engulfed with the same idea. But in order for, for the corporate sector to also understand is, is in order to create any level of attraction, even with, with the talent, it is important for, for the talent to understand uh, what meaning would they give beyond a salary or a paycheck into the lives of their employee. That's number one. Number two, because they have been structured around social responsibility, I mean, Things are moving beyond being social, socially responsible. They are moving towards what is the value that you're creating. So a lot of things are moving. So for instance, if you look at, I mean, Coke did a very smart thing. Coke's uh, brand value proposition revolves around happiness. So much of their, much of their, many of their commercials are actually revolving. So when happiness is a point of anchoring in, uh, consumer behavior. They also really understand uh, if the brand value, sort of their product, come down. What is the other way of engaging the community? So they took the cultural route, which was basically having Coke Studio in Pakistan and India in general. I think there's one in Turkey also. So that became really like their way of really uh, moving into another industry, which is your artist community. And when you see those sort of relationships happening. Uh, with major brands, uh, you sort of see like things are moving fast and there are a few corporate sectors who still have a lot of catching up to do. From social responsibility to more of a value thing and, and for corporate sector to have more of a purpose, what set of values will they inculcate in the society or what would they encourage in a society? So rather than being narrowly stuck into the sustainable development goals, exactly what do we mean when everyone needs to have energy in their households? Or what do we mean that if everyone needs to have water? I mean, these are the things that were that had been uh, under discussion for like ages. So we need we need to have that uh, political consciousness also being built into these uh, 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 social responsibilities as aspects, which so far they have uh, shied away from. I see a few technology companies uh, picking up on those political things, but we still have a very far way to go. Absolutely. I think we can all agree on that. And this really relates to that that notion of purpose um, is in the article that you, you both co-wrote. Um, it was really unpacking the idea of urban brand utility for the listeners. So, Sergio, I actually have a question for you. How does urban brand utility tie into the ideas we're discussing when it comes to brand? Uh, I think, in, I mean, in many ways, it's a multifaceted, multidimensional concept. So to begin with, uh, many things that Pruesh mentioned before about the media industry and journalism uh, also 
uh, resonated with me uh, to the point that uh, we we also see how many how many professional marketing professionals are losing their jobs, how budgets are being cut. Uh, there was recently a, a, a poll uh, uh, assessing different types of careers and professionals, and uh, those in advertising and marketing were actually the least trusted, the least respected underneath politicians. So it's quite alarming. It's something that, you know, uh, uh, rang a few bells in my mind, uh, heart and soul. And, and it, it bothered me. It bothered me because I love what I do. Uh, a lot of my identity uh, intertwines with, uh, with, with my career, my profession as well. And I wanted to take a step ahead. I wanted to find ways to make it better, change for the better as well. And when we look at, you know, all the dimensions of marketing, basically the four P's of marketing for product, for instance, we already have a circular product, you know, the whole idea of cradle to cradle certifications and things like that is something that creates that circularity. When it comes to place, now we have platform strategies, platform brands. You don't need to own anything. There is actually uh, someone from the MIT. uh, His name is Andrew McAfee. He leads the whole shared economy initiative and he talks about dematerialization and how wealthy nations are dematerializing and through that they're also also becoming more sustainable and that's you know mainly because of uh, platforms such as uber uh, airbnb and you know and the likes of amazon and and so many others Uh, and then you know you you keep looking at the whole marketing value chain uh, in terms of price, currency has been changed in many ways, in many ways to allow more access and uh, create new types of currency as well. But when we, we, we look into promotion, the communications side or aspect of marketing is where uh, uh, it's basically a cradle to grave type of model. And in many ways, it's, it's cradle to grave because once you deploy your campaign, you deploy that communication, it goes to the grave. It's waste, right? It goes to, goes to landfill and, uh, uh, and uh, CO2 emissions. I remember when I was working in, uh, in the UK, we developed a tool called uh, Carbon Track that was actually able to measure the, the, the life cycle of a campaign from a CO2 emissions perspective. So from the moment that you receive the brief all the way until after the post analysis of the campaign, you're able to quantify that. So that was very interesting, very insightful, but measuring is only the beginning. Measuring helps you manage, but then how do you change that? And that was when, I think was 2014 maybe, was when IBM uh, uh, launched that uh, Smarter Planet campaign. And I saw that, uh, you know, like a a cardboard became a ramp on stairs. And on top of that cardboard, you had, you know, the logo of IBM and a message. They also had a billboard that turned into a shelter, like a bus shelter, rain shelter. So they were just using some very simple lo-fi types of ideas on out-of-home media to to make you feel like the city is smarter. And that gave me like, that was a huge provocation for me. That's when I thought that we don't need to continue uh, to to stop, to interrupt people's moments to grab their attention. What if instead of interrupting them and annoying them, we can instead enhance those moments? And what IBM did with the Smarter Planet uh, Planet campaign was exactly that, and uh, it, it also it also resonated with my my very own life and upbringing. Growing up in Brazil, uh, and Brazil is also known as Belindia because it has the wealth and sophistication of Belgium, but also has a lot of the poverty from India. 
uh, and it's 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 a nation with uh, so many contrasts. And uh, you know, in one of those occasions, I remember I was walking back home, uh, got robbed just because it was dark, not because it was a dangerous area, uh, not because you know I was calling attention, but you know that happened because there was no not enough energy on the grid to support the street lights. So uh, uh, and then you know, like I, I saw a campaign in India from this uh, uh, utility company called Halonix, where they were then deploying LED billboards in the, in, in the, at the, the most dangerous streets in Delhi. And they were doing that because they understood that darkness was something that was favoring crime. And through that campaign, they were able to curb crime, curb violence, and curb rape as well. That of course, generates a surplus to the local government because the, the, the city of Delhi uh, wouldn't have, or at, at least, you know, would have to spend less money to deal with all of those issues coming from criminality. And, you know, it doesn't stop there. It's not just someone going to the to the police station. It could be someone that needs to have, you know, aftercare, medical aftercare, emergency rooms, uh, therapy, and, you know, uh, uh, God knows what else uh, uh, can happen in these situations. But then, you know, it's, it's, it, it's how do I take that that idea from a stunt that you will then, you know, collect an award in the south of France to something that is a mainstreamed practice. And that was when the whole model, the revenue model of Urban Brand Utility came to be, which is one where you have these partnerships between uh, private and public sectors, but also people. People choosing what type of campaigns they want to see happening. And in that sense, with this surplus that is created, then the revenue is redistributed. So let's assume that in India, in Delhi, Halonix was able to save $10 million from putting these uh, LED billboards that lit up at night in the most dangerous streets. Uh, well, if uh, if the mayor wants to, to partner up with the advertiser, the agency that enabled, that, that actually that wrote that campaign, and the media owner that enabled that campaign to happen, then it's a matter of uh, keeping a share of that surplus within the, 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 the city's safe, but also then redistributing in the form of uh, you know, any financial instrument or media credits. So that same campaign that was saving lives, that was, ma- that was making the city better, would also be able to continue, would have you know, its second installment or would be able to continue for longer. And this is something that is actually happening nowadays. It's something that we can see in many different cities, not only uh, as, you know, as a campaign, as billboards you know, that would uh, uh, suck pollution from the air or, or, uh, uh, or you know, they're coated with uh, uh, solar cells or solar paint that you can then you know, turn that energy into something that is very productive, but also through hardware. And and uh, in New York City, we, we saw the repurposing of obsolete pay phones into these totems, these internet totems that give everyone in the city free, free access to broadband Wi-Fi, but also creates a new revenue stream for the city in the form of ad units. So it's something that when you look into the long term, into the future, completely redesigns the industry and makes the industry circular rather than a cradle to grave, a cradle to cradle. So how does it relate to, to all? everything that we've been doing with Futurecast, I guess uh, it's a vision of the future. It's a vision for brands to step up to the challenge. It's a vision for advertising to finally start to walk its talk. Yes, it's absolutely an amazing and interesting concept. And it ties quite well into my next question for Puro Esh. And it's kind of around messaging. And this is something that you discussed as well. And, and and so while we're on the topic of visions for the future and and ideas, 
the COVID crisis has really shone a light on how brands communicate, I think. In a time when people are losing their jobs and their health is at risk, I think that brand messaging can quite easily seem tone deaf or disconnected and quickly irrelevant, basically, to how people actually are living. So in your view, how can brands use the principles of your futures theories or future studies to communicate better? And is is this moment in history, is it an opportunity for the private sector to be part of something different, part of a global reset, if you will? So one of uh, one of the areas that I'd been looking at, whether or not the corporate sector would use this as an opportunity to engage in a much more larger debate. I mean, I can say, for instance, in, in Pakistan, that's not been the case, which is quite shameful in the sense that uh, um, these large corporate sector, however, um, I would give a very, very small example of uh, of at least how the local restaurant owners, uh, in order to still continue to attract uh, customers, they ensured that a, a lot of their uh, lot of their guidelines in terms of how they how they view safety in the context of what the WHO or the government is giving them guidelines and how are they complying. So much of their communications uh, happened under the compliance framework. Having said that, uh, the budget with these small uh, restaurant owners is quite uh, it's quite narrow. Uh, largely speaking, uh, if you are not a product that is uh, in the in in the uh, cleansing business, um, therefore there is no need for you. What what I've seen is that there is no need for you to communicate beyond traditional. Uh, uh, paradigm so so we had a lot of these brands comply so whether they be your soap products or or any other sanitizing products so they were they were the ones who were communicating within the covid areas sharing sharing much more of the public information space however many other brands uh, largely speaking went on with their daily campaigns uh, completely missing the point and obviously becoming irrelevant because nobody really needs to consume stuff when when there is this fear of joblessness it is quite insensitive that uh, you have a lot of these people who fear that they may lose their jobs and yet you continue to sell them the, your products and your services without being considered so we've seen a lot of inconsiderate uh, messaging in the last one year of this crisis However, we've seen also the governments be much more responsible. Nevertheless, the campaigns went on as they were. Mm. But then when we look at the other side, we have the consumers, right? And uh, what is gradually emerging, I mean, I don't even think it's emerging. It's already there, uh, is this whole idea of citizen consumers, people that are voting with their own dollars and uh, hoping to drive change this way. Do you believe that this can actually be possible? Do you believe that citizens through their shopping behavior can actually change things, can actually change the course of uh, civilization to put it in a really <laughs> big way? Or it's something that we would need, you know, really like big federal government, new le- new legislation or some other type of large scale infra- infrastructure projects? I, I you you've made a, this is a very valid point. I have seen instances where uh, I think dignity and and if if uh, brands and corporates actually violate someone's dignity, we see a societal backlash. 
And we see their revenue models also decline. Uh, there have been one or two instances where I've seen that happen with very, with very small-scale business owners, where they've, where they've actually humiliated uh, their staff. And as a consequence, their restaurants are, are actually empty now. So barely anyone goes there. So there is an entire movement which is happening. I think I think people are becoming much more conscious of the fact that you cannot violate anyone's uh, uh, dignity and still continue with the business as usual. So I think dignity plays a very fundamental role in terms of how people perceive uh, uh, your businesses and how they perceive your communications. Uh, so we're very lucky living in, in, in times where, where we have a growing level of consciousness amongst uh, amongst these societies. Although, I mean, I, I can speak for for a fact in Pakistan, we've seen one or two instances in the last couple of months, um, and I'm sure there are other examples uh, in in different parts of the world. Oh yeah, I mean, we saw with uh, Nike, for instance, you know what uh, Colin Kaepernick has done, and Serena Serena Williams, and so many people uh, backing backing those athletes sponsored by the brand, and either promoting the brand or you know moving away from the brand. Same with uh, Gillette, but for for different reasons, and many other brands like. I think Ben and Jerry's is a big one as well, where you know, putting itself behind causes and uh, mobilizing their audiences not only as consumers but but as activists. Uh, and in that sense, how how does a brand sell to an activist if it's not a consumer? If uh, is, is dignity the new currency? That's a that's a very good. I think yeah. Um, I think dignity has always been there. Um, but in in the sense, we the realization and the access to information has become much more easier. And so, if you if if a group if you're sitting in a group of ten people, uh, and you try and look the other way, and the other seven members of the same group are, uh, are mobilizing under one purpose, and that's where I said like you know uh, brands and organizations need to have a political inclination in terms of uh, really reaching out to the to the sentiments of their consumer so what you said very, very is resonates uh, uh, very uniquely in terms of materialism people are now uh, because we live in the because we still live in a time where real estate matters more and ideas are really not that uh, on people's up on the people's agenda. We still see that struggle of ownership. So people still feel the need to own stuff rather than share stuff. But we're moving in this direction where where uh, where a lot of young people who may not have the large income bracket, who may not operate under that, but have this uh, have this behavioral aspect of sharing experiences. So anything that actually uh, encapsulate in terms of sharing experiences, you will see a lot more people moving towards that, especially the young people. And that's why we see a lot of mobilization happening and brands therefore follow the sentiment. Uh, brands no longer are in the business of actually uh, encouraging a behavior or creating a sentiment value. Uh, they're, they're, they're moving towards where the sentiment is. And to close it off, to to wrap this up, you as a as a as a citizen consumer as well, like all of us, if you were to to vote with uh, your dollars, what is the one brand that you would vote for the future? What is the brand that should lead the future from what you've seen? For me, 
the dollar worth is on uh, uh, knowledge and human potential. That's where I'd see my dollar going into. Futurecast is the Marketing Mag podcast series brought to you by Content Brains and presented by Marketing Mag. Futurecast is produced by Joanne Davies, head of Content Brains and publisher of Marketing Mag. And Jazz Giuliani, editor of Content Brains and Marketing Mag. Our executive producer is Sergio Brodsky with original music and audio production by Sam Boone. If you want further details on our podcast or our guests, please visit the episode notes in this podcast. Remember to subscribe to Futurecast so you never miss an episode.